Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and I'm so glad to have another one of our World Perspectives episodes. In these episodes, Ellen, who is our international program specialist here at Heartbeat, is talking with a few of her friends around the world to help listeners understand how each worldview impacts decisions on life and abortion. I'd like to quickly mention that registration is now open for Heartbeat International's annual conference taking place April 26th through 28th in Louisville, Kentucky. This is a gathering of pregnancy help ministry leaders, staff, volunteers, and board members from around the world as we network, train from various workshops, and focus on our mission of making abortion unwanted today and unthinkable for future generations. Sign up today at heartbeatservices.org. Hello, Heartbeat friends. This is Ellen Fell, Heartbeat's International Program Specialist. I get to oversee relationships with our 1,200-ish international affiliates in over 85, 87 countries and serve them on behalf of Heartbeat. It is my joy and pleasure to interface with all of them as, as I have opportunity. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Subichap, Pichai Mutu from India. Subi has uh, allowed me to call her Subi. And uh, I just want to say that uh, she is, uh, she received her undergraduate and her law degree from the university in Chennai, India. And uh, she's currently studying for her LLM at Queen Mary's in London. Subi has uh, written frequently on worldview perspectives, uh, specifically on the Hindu worldview perspective on uh, abortion. And uh, so it's a joy to have her and it's an honor. Subi, welcome to our podcast and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for the opportunity, Ellen. It's my greatest pleasure to participate in this podcast. Well, thank you. So we've been talking uh, about with people from um, different countries uh, discussing the worldview of Islam, uh, uh, even communism and Judaism. And today we're talking about the Hindu perspective on life and abortion. Now, uh, let me say that uh, from a Christian worldview, as you probably know, God is the primary reality. Can you help us understand a little bit about Hinduism and what the primary reality uh, of Hinduism is. Yeah. Um, let me uh, give a short introduction about Hinduism and then move into the primary reality. So it will give us a clear understanding about how the religion is built up. Uh, Hinduism is one of the largest religions of the world after Christianity and Islam. It is one of the oldest living religions of the world. Hinduism has 900 million followers, with majority of followers in India, Nepal, uh, Mauritius, and in some parts of UK, Cambodia, etc. So Hinduism, unlike other religions, does not have a beginning point or a single scripture or a single prophet or a single author from it began. It is a natural indigenous religion where all its beliefs are a fusion of all the scriptures and beliefs in the particular religion. So the understanding of the prime reality in Hinduism is going to be quite hard when compared to other religions because there is not a strict um, you know, beginning or end. And that's why the Hinduism is called Sanatana Dharma. 
which means the eternal way of life there's no beginning nor end for this religion okay moving on to the prime reality the prime reality of this particular religion is a symbol called om which is pronounced as om it symbolizes the universe and the ultimate reality it is the most important of hindu symbols at the dawn of creation from emptiness it is considered the syllables uh, a syllable consisting three letters a u m often written as om has emerged all major religions are recognizes creative vibration for example in our bible it is said in john chapter 1 1 verses 1 to 3 in the beginning was a word the word was with god and the word was god in hinduism this particular word that created the world is considered to be om which symbolizes vishnu brahma and shivan three deities vishnu is considered as the protector of the world shiva is considered as the destroyer of the world and brahma is considered as the creator of the world so all this put together as om is the primary reality of this religion stay, stay, stating that a cosmic energy is created and it is protected and then destroyed to attain moksha this is the primary reality of hinduism so the am i correct in saying that the primary reality of hinduism is is not a personal being yes right. yeah so how hinduism does not have a beginning nor an end that's why it's called sanatana dharma which means eternal way of life you mm-hmm. can't uh, narrow it down to one particular thing but the prime reality is this combination of all these three deities the it is like a holy trinity of christianity where a u m symbolizes the cosmic energy of vishnu brahma and shiva mm. so what is the, what is you said you know there's the creator the protector and the des- destroyer or the end of of that reality so is the na- is what is there a nature of those realities is is it kind is it loving is it merciful or are those not factors to be considered in hinduism um yes uh, the one main factor that is to be considered in this hinduism world view is called dharma dharma means uh, according to hinduism can be defined as duty virtue of morality when whenever you perform something a good deed it is called dharma and in hinduism dharma isn't common it is subjective for example a lion's dharma is to kill and eat a deer and a king's dharma is to protect his subjects so dharma is subjective whenever so when you act morally you 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 do dharma when mm. you uh, don't act with moral or virtue you you do adharma and you will and you will face the karmic sin and uh. then you will enter into karmic sin for that virtue of deeds you do that is the prime reality and the end conclusion of this is uh, unlike other religions hinduism does not believe in heaven and earth the basic prime reality of hinduism is there is a cycle of birth called samsara where you will be born when you die the soul will enter with all its uh, capacity to into another body this recycling of lives and the cycle of lives will go on only when you attain moksha by doing good deeds you will get relief from this samsara which is a cycle of life so any good deed is the prime reality of hinduism 
So is the goal of Hinduism then to continually perform or perform dharma, good deeds on a continual basis? Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's yeah. f- forgive me if I'm simplifying, but is it yeah. essentially a works, works-based faith? Is that yeah. correct? It is okay. the, it's, yes. The prime reality is all your deeds have an cyclic, eff- uh, has an effect on the life you are going to take. So only when you do good deeds and attain moksha, that you will get relief from the cycle of life. Mm. So your, the good deeds will take you nearer to God. That's the prime reality of Hinduism, to put it in simpler words. Okay. That's really helpful. And that gives me a, a, a great, a, a better understanding of Hinduism. Now, how does that uh, impact? So what is a, what is the, the, a human being in Hinduism? According to Hinduism, there is uh, two things that form a human being. The Atman, which is the soul of a human being, and then a body. So soul in a body is called a human being, according to Hinduism. As Bhagavad Gita says, uh, in that, the deity Krishna says that, like we, uh, we remove our old garments and get into a new one, our soul after its uh, soul, after its life, it takes all the karmic sin and uh, all the attributes of this life and move into a next body. So, according to Hinduism, a human being is a human being consists of a soul in the present body, which uh, attributes of uh, which uh, which has its own karmic sin and uh, good deeds. According to karmic sin and good deeds, it will take all the leftover and then enter into a new body. Hmm. So they don't uh, in Hinduism a human being does not die, but it it gets rebirth. So there is no death in Hinduism where uh, where you only you are, you are born again. So so according to Hinduism a human being is an Atman in a body, a soul in a body. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's uh, that's really <laughs> that is really interesting. Uh, so if and that's actually that is not an untruth, <laughs> actually, because uh, as, as C.S. Lewis has said, uh, we are a soul, we have a body. So um, how, what is then the, uh, a Hindu, well, let me back up. I think you've, you've, uh, you've explained, actually, that according to Hinduism, and correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding, Subi, uh, in, according to Hinduism, uh, the body might die, but the soul continues. Is that correct? In a different yes. body. Yes. Ma'am. Okay. All right. Yeah. So along with all the karmic sins that we are all with, for all the good deeds you did and bad deeds you did, all this karmic reaction, the effects of what you did, will also prolong to the next life. According to Hinduism, so, so it's a continuing cycle where you take all the. Things deeds you did on this life will have an effect on your past and present life and your future life. So, is what is the concept of forgiveness in Hinduism? Is there a concept of forgiveness, yeah. or is it constant paying for, for lack of a better word, your sin, your yeah. bad deeds? There's a con- Go yeah. ahead. There is a concept of forgiveness, but it is very uh, subjective, and different Vedas uh, give different. Uh, types of uh, forgiveness uh, but the forgiveness is not an act when it comes to Hinduism but it is a series of uh, pujas 
or a series mm. of uh, what uh, pujas you do it is called prayachitta in sanskrit prayachitta means atonement of sin so for example it is in uh, believe in hinduism if you go take bath in the river of uh, ganga in india all your sins are washed away you don't have any rebirth so this is mentioned in a particular scripture in rigveda but in other scriptures a different type of prayachitas every sin has a different different types of prayachitas so different type of atonement but forgiveness is are not there forgiveness is not by a mere act you need to perform a series of uh, pujas to uh, get atonement from the sin you have committed all right well that brings me to what i what i would consider the the primary reason for this series of podcast and for this one in particular so does hinduism see abortion as a, as a bad thing i i i forgot now the name of it the, the opposite of dharma does dharma of the okay so what is the view then of abortion yeah okay uh, abortion is definitely is considered as an adharma in hinduism hinduism has a staunch disbelief when it comes with abortion abortion is mentioned in uh, lots of places in vedas so mm-hmm. the first thing that i i like to mention is hinduism believes that a soul enters the body at conception so the undeveloped embryo or the fetus is considered as a person in hinduism as a living organism in hinduism and then um even the words that are used to define abortion abortion is called garbha hatya in sanskrit garbha hatya means killing of the fetus they have not used non violence terms to describe abortion this shows they have they take a strong stand against abortion i would like to mention the scripture called in uh, kaushitika upanishad a scripture that says abortion is a sin which equals to killing of one's parents mm. and even uh, rigveda states that the fetus slayer one who slays the fetus is the great is the greatest sinner of all times and uh, there are two instances in uh, both uh, uh, ramayana and in vedas where once a ca- character called narader was telling stories to a pregnant woman she'll fall asleep so he'll think of stopping the story but it is said that the fetus inside the woman was listening to it and was kicking her kicking his uh, mother as in response to the stories he told so narayana went went and continued telling the stories and it is said that uh, the child was born as a very good child and became a good emperor against his own evil dad so like this a lot of instances in the vedas say that a fetus is a living being and a person who has the capability to understand things that is happening around it and uh, and it is said life begins at conception is the belief of hinduism and also abortion is uh, taken into account as a very very greatest sin called garbha hatya a bruna hatya where it is equal to killing of one's parents the mm. only exception that is mentioned for abortion in hinduism is in a text called shrut shrutta samhita it is a very very old text uh, it the text 
talks about all the medicine medical procedures that can be done and this text talks about artificial um, injection uh, uh, injection of uh, pregnancy pain that can be done and the only exception that is given is only when the mother's life is at mm. uh, mother life is in danger the precedence is given to mother's life when in compared to the fetus life so only when the mother's life is in danger abortion is permitted where the mother's life is given precedence but in all other cases abortion is definitely uh, the greatest sin and adharma since it is a uh, as i told there ha- there has to be a cycle of life you need to enter a life you need to perform all your deeds and you need to carry the good and bad effects and enter into the other life so when a fetus is laid in its uh, even in the womb itself you don't give the fetus an opportunity to have its own life and hence the karmic cycle the cycle of life is uh, is uh, you know it's damaged and it is hindered and hence abortion is considered as a greatest sin according to hinduism there is a great rumor spreading that hinduism does not take a strong stand when it comes to abortion no it's wrong all the vedas even the term that we used to define abortion states that abortion is not accepted in hinduism hmm. uh so uh, just for in in case this wasn't clear to um to people who are listening uh the vedas that you refer to that those are the scriptures of hinduism is that correct yeah okay yes. the, the vedas are the basic scriptures that form hinduism <clears throat> okay so uh that is very strong and uh it is it, it's consistent with not just a respect but a, an incredible value for life in the womb now so if abortion is seen as um as this the one of the greatest uh sins uh i guess my question then becomes how because india has such a high abortion rate and because india has such a high rate of um female abortions how can how could a pregnancy help center come alongside a woman who is facing this terrible crisis in her life where she is pregnant and either she or her partner do not want to 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 continue the pregnancy now let me back up a little bit before you answer that can you address a little bit the the idea of an honor shame culture because if i understand correctly india has a very strong uh, the culture has a very strong sense of honor and of shame is am i correct yes ma can, can you explain what what that is the honor shame concept yeah okay honor shame culture is very much prevalent in india honor killing happens uh, in such large numbers um there is a the thing is called uh, a guilt is uh, be, the guilt is being posted on the woman who comes forward to say that to make her choice 
the to protect the honor of the family or honor of the tribe the village even the honor of the nation even particularly the honor of the caste that a woman belongs to she is shamed stating that uh, she does not belong she has been outcasted even things like this happen a woman or the both the couples have been outcasted and they are not uh, accepted as a part of the family the tribe or the society um abortion it is uh, stated as in um, potentially shameful thing and uh, mainly even if this honor shame uh, honor uh, the shame culture does not affect them it is said a woman is both psychologically and mentally disturbed because after this uh, after this abortion and even it is also said that even when others does not do this culture one's own self uh, pushes pushes her into this honor uh, shame thing mm. as said in bhagavad gita it is said that a guilt guilt is called dosha a guilt can kill someone so it is said that a guilt should not a guilt can kill someone and can protect you from doing the things you must have done so this dosha as i said the guilt it uh, pushes a woman into thinking that she has been outcasted from the society and this guilt prevents her from uh, prevents her from moving freely in the society so um in india all the abortions are mainly hidden because of this honor shame culture mm. people don't come forward and they don't get the proper counseling because they don't have anyone to talk about this abortion because they, they think it's a shameful activity and they are even guilty to talk about the choices they have because it is considered as a shameful thing so it be- it remains a hidden burden yeah it's mostly it is mostly hidden and they don't indian women don't easily go to counseling and talk about all this because they think it is very very um, they, they don't talk their worries out even in in many times when the woman wants to keep a child she has been slut shamed and she she is made to do forced abortions are done in large numbers in india stating mm. that you can't do uh, you know mere percussions on the society that you can't do this happen and i have seen a lot of women who have been forced to do abortion even when she wants to have a child it's the two choices that are given to women in india basically to hindu women is either you abort the child to prevent the honor of your tribe or family or else you will be outcasted from the family we will uh, not uh, we will cut all our ties with you so you need to leave from our family so all these actually corrupt the mind of the woman and she is not able to make her choices all these affect the choice making of the woman even when she wants to have a child mm. well that points to a um a great opportunity let's say uh in the midst of the crisis and the opportunity is um for uh if a someone in a pregnancy help center whether it's in india or in america they have the opportunity to present the love of god the unconditional love of god the forgiveness of god and the restoration of god to a woman uh however i could see that there would be cultural uh and societal barriers to presenting that 
message of love and of hope. So I, I guess I would like to ask you broadly, Subi, uh, how, how would you help us understand how to lovingly counsel a woman with, uh, from a Hindu background and a strong cultural background in a crisis pregnancy? Okay. Is that too broad a question, or do you think you can tackle that? Uh, yeah, Mama. Uh, to answer the question, to answer your question, I think Hindu women are often feared that since the, as I told, the forgiveness is a very broader topic, and uh, prayachita is not given, and even this abortion, since it is considered the greatest of the sins, there is no proper prayachita given for abortion and stuff. Mm-hmm. So even women who undergo abortion are psychologically affected. I mm. think the mere fact that the pregnancy counseling that Hindu women can call call up and ask is a is a great gesture. I think it is a boon for all the Hindu women right here because they lack counseling at the first place. Mm. So this a person to talk their heart op- open their heart and talk with is a great gesture. Point one. And next, uh, since he, uh, I want to say that the love of God is what is important. I am this um, all this pregnancy, abortion, and contraception, as you told, it is uh, you know it is seen with a view of honor and shame. So they have they all the women have been shamed as an outcast from the society, saying that no one will ever uh, they will never be a part of something. Because from everything, they will be avoided uh, avoided from all the traditions as it is all social gatherings and stuff. So I, from a pregnancy counseling uh, center, if we make sure that we make them understand that they are not an outcast for bringing up a child into this world or taking the choice the child needs, they will not be considered an outcast. The child will grow and take care of them. They have a choice to make. Even though Hinduism is completely against abortion, there is also a factor where the dharma you do, where uh, the good you do will protect you. Dharma, rakshita, rakshita. One who protects dharma, dharma will protect you. So uh, we need to make them understand that just because they make a mere choice against the family, they will not be outcasted. And mm-hmm. there are people who love, and there is a God to love them in spite of all this. Wow. Subi, you have just said what we call a mouthful. That, that is just so profound because it, it indicates to, to me the power and the, ex- and the, the, uh, the power and the covering of God's love and how critical it is to present uh, all of these, not just information, but truth in the, in the context of love. Um, you said something interesting that I, I, I think I heard it right, but I would like you to repeat it. You said something about the one who protects the good deeds is uh, then the good deeds will protect you or something like that. Can you do you remember what you just yeah. said? Can say it again. Yeah, it, 
yeah it's a scripture uh, it's a scripture from the vedas which says dharmo rakshati rakshitahe which means one who protects the dharma is protected by the dharma so if you do a good deed that good deed will protect you mm. all women they uh, they don't take a choice because they think they will not have enough protection from their family or uh, people that is surrounded from the kinship unit they are surrounded by but the good deed they do to the child or the fetus will definitely protect them in future dharma rakshitahe rakshitahi that is fascinating so in some ways the good deeds are the law and yeah. uh Dhar- is that correct yeah dharma is the ultimate reality of hinduism in the scriptures i guess So when Jesus comes and says I didn't come to uh abolish the law I came to fulfill it his fulfillment of the law really does protect all of us each one of us including every hindu woman in an unplanned pregnancy that is a message of truth that we can share with love so subi my last uh well this has this has been fascinating uh for me and i i so deeply appreciate your giving uh us your time and your insights uh your knowledge of uh what the vedas say etc has has been astounding so i want to give you the opportunity to say one last thing to those who are listening what one thing would you say uh to uh, uh somebody working in a in a pregnancy help center about reaching out and having the conversation with a hindu client facing an unplanned pregnancy i will i would like to say it's going to be very hard because um basically not not only hindu women indian women are uh, indian women for centuries are not given the opportunity to speak their heart out they always have secrets hidden they are to be precise they always have uh, skeletons in the closet you know anything comes to wishes or uh, thing they wanted to do and all of this up when it comes to pregnancy i think it's tied with um, a lot of guilt shame and outcasting as i said and uh, zero protection from family so it's going to be very hard to convince them to first reach them i don't think hindu women have the opportunity to talk their heart out they don't have a situation where you know i think if you call them and they are surrounded by family members they won't even be ready to talk talk hmm. about this because they are surrounded by people only when they are in isolation they can talk about this and it's going to be very hard to prove them that what they have been taught all these years what they have undergone all these years is not the reality the reality is something else it is bigger than they think and the god the god or the belief they have is uh, they what they believe all these years is something different and i have seen many women who who wanted to take abortions hindu women who always wanted to take abortions change in the minute they hear the heartbeat of the fetus i don't know mm-hmm. what what the magic it creates in them 
they'll be very staunch when they come to it and they'll be like uh, no i'm going to do this there's no way but once they go in and hear the heartbeat of the child i think the women are the most softest and the strongest creature at the same time there is a distinction so you pull the women from softest there's a line if you just pull them to the line they you can transform them into the strongest women ever and that line pulling them towards it is going to be hard but i think it's worth for all the fetuses we are going to save in the name of christ well subicha i could not have uh said it better uh i have nothing to add to what you have said that was beautiful and i love that juxtaposition of soft and strong uh you yourself uh must be a very soft and strong woman i look forward to meeting you face to face one day definitely i want to thank you for your time and your input today uh you have opened up a world for us uh through your uh your insight thank you for participating and uh i think our producer christine will have some things to add to this but uh for now thanks very much everybody for being on the on the podcast and thank you subicha thanks for listening to this episode of the pregnancy help podcast be sure to subscribe stay tuned for what we have next and if you haven't already heard ellen's past world perspectives episodes please take some time scroll back and give those a listen